Welcome back for our reading of the Judas Epidemic, Chapter 11, Almost Persuaded. Undoubtedly, there will be many who read this book and wonder what prompted the author to write about the subject matter. That's a natural and reasonable question and deserving of an honest and forthright answer, which I will readily and willingly give. I should probably start with a little background information about myself. As I mentioned in the introduction to this book, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior at the age of 10 years old. As far back as I can remember, my parents were dressing me in a suit and tie and taking me to church even as young as three or four years old as I remember. Uh, but when I became about seven years of age, my dad and mom moved us from our nice little house in Peoria, Illinois, to a very humble duplex in Pontiac, Michigan, where my dad had decided to attend Bible college. My dad diligently studied during the day and worked at the GMC plant in Pontiac in order to clothe and feed us all. Dad was serious about his calling to the ministry, and so every time the doors to the Emmanuel Baptist Church were opened, we were walking through as a faithful Christian family, ready and willing to do God's will. After a year of Bible college in Michigan, Dad transferred to another Bible college in Indiana, which was operated by a, by a Baptist church that claimed to have the world's largest Sunday school, with an approximate 10,000 people attending each and every Sunday morning. Dad and I worked the Sunday school bus route in East Chicago every morning, rain or shine, warm or freezing, cold, and we loved doing it, for we were for we knew we were doing God's will by, uh, by bringing people in to hear about the wonderful grace of God and his love for them. It was a very special time in my life that I will never forget, for I saw things and learned things that the average 8, 9, or 10-year-old probably would not. I felt that it was a privilege to take part in these things then, and I still do today. I would not trade them for anything later on in life, I have come to realize just how valuable those experiences were. At the completion of three more years of Bible college in Indiana, my dad graduated summa cum laude, and we returned to Peoria, Illinois, where dad took a job as an assistant pastor and Christian school teacher at a Baptist church in East Peoria, Illinois. My dad was my speech teacher, as well as my soccer and basketball coach while attending this high school. Since I was a PK, the preacher's kid, I was expected to be in church every time the doors were open, and oftentimes when they were not also. So you could say that a majority of my life, from about the age of four or five until the age of 17, was spent in the fundamental Baptist church, where I learned the most precious tenets of my faith. I think it was at about the age of 13 or 14 until I became 17, that I began to see and understand that people do not always live up to the standards that the Christian faith teaches. I began to see some injustices, some disloyalties, and some hypocrisies occurring among my Christian brothers and sisters, and these things troubled me. Being a very young fellow, I did not yet fully understand the frailties of our human nature, and did not always understand that even my fellow Christians were human too, and therefore did not always meet God's expectations of them. So naturally, 
as most latter stage teenagers do, I began to see legal adulthood approaching. I decided that what I needed to do was to escape the rigors of church life, where my every action was under the perceived microscope of Christian scrutiny. I felt the need to escape, to get away from home and the expectations that I felt everyone had for me. I needed to do my own thing, so to speak, find my own way. As an impetuous young man, not always thinking things through properly, I decided to join the armed forces. I tested, passed with flying colors, and eagerly enlisted to serve my country. I got my wish to be away from home all right. They sent me to the Philippines for a year and a half. It was there that I began to experience what I thought was real freedom. Far from the scrutinizing eyes of my Christian family and friends, I could do virtually anything I felt like doing. Who would know about it, right? I was finally free to be my own man. What a feeling of independence. It was at this stage of my life that I began to fall away from observing and adhering to the most basic tenets of my faith. I started to become what would be termed in the Christian community as uh, worldly. Life was a big party, and the world was my proverbial oyster. The only one I had to answer to was myself. I decided that I did not need to attend church, and I stayed away from church almost totally, unless, of course, there was a wedding or a funeral to attend. As a result of my church-attending abstinence, I began slipping further away from God's will for my life without even really realizing it or even caring about it much. I began to think that the worldly life I was living was just normal, the way everyone lived and acted. My falling away began to become my running away from anything and everything godly. After serving in the Air Force for four years, I returned home to Illinois after honorable discharge, and after two short years, found myself yearning for the freedom that I had the previous four years. I promptly re-enlisted in the U.S. Army. Stationed at Fort Hood, Texas for a year, I found new worldly friends to hang out with, and I felt that semblance of freedom again. After my tour at Fort Hood, I found myself assigned overseas in Germany for three years, and at the two-year point of my service in Germany, my unit was informed of its deployment to Iraq in support of Operation Desert Storm, and so I had to leave my family of six, my wife and five children, to fend for themselves in Germany while I served in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and, Kuwait and Iraq. All this time, from 1987 to 1991, when I returned from Iraq, I had not set foot in a church for any reason. I was still running from God. I was honorably discharged in 1991 and again returned to Illinois, where I immediately obtained employment in the gaming industry in a surveillance capacity. I experienced a fairly meteoric rise through the ranks, and within a year or so, found myself in a shift supervisor position in the surveillance department of the casino. I was highly respected for my abilities and my trustworthiness there, but the casino atmosphere that I lived and worked in for long hours was not conducive to any thoughts of faith or any responsibility to it. 
It was during a three-year period in the casino industry that I began to explore different areas of spiritual and religious thought forms. My curiosity about the things that I had always been taught were wrong. Kept, uh, excuse me, let me let me read that over. My curiosity about the things that I had always been taught were wrong kept getting stronger and stronger. I began to wonder if there was really such a thing as psychic ability or clairvoyance. I wondered if there was indeed an inner divinity in man, and I wondered, of course, if it might be a gift from God. As I traveled from job to job within the gaming industry, my interest in this new age thinking became even more intense. I read a number of books with voracious intensity, trying to glean as much knowledge as I could about this new and interesting subject matter. I seemed to center my interest on some books written by or written about Edgar Cayce, who in the early 1930s was considered one of the most highly venerated psychics of his day. Upon reading further about Casey, I discovered that he claimed to be a Christian. I thought that this was my confirmation. Casey was a Christian, yet he had the gift of clairvoyance. Maybe psychic ability really could be a real gift from God. As a result, I began to research even deeper into the New Age religious thought system. Even at one point, considering enrolling in Casey's Association of Research and, and Enlightenment, based in Virginia, as a student of metaphysical thought form, with my eye on possibly opening up a counseling business of my own after graduation. Even though I was on the wrong track, I still had an intense desire to help people somehow, and I thought that this might be the way to do it. I was excited and began telling a few of my closest friends about my intentions. They were polite and listened, but they did not understand completely. I was spitting distance from enrolling in Casey's school. When it came time to enroll, I found myself strangely torn as to whether or not to actually do it. I began to sense that something just was not right about this decision. I couldn't put my finger on it but something just was not allowing me to jump in and do it. Little did I know then that it wasn't something that was holding me back, but someone, and that someone was the Holy Spirit. Quite honestly, I did not realize at that time that it was God who kept me from making that incorrect decision, but I know it now. I realized now that there was no way that God was going to let me turn totally away from him. I gave myself to him when I was 10 years old. I belonged to him. I was his child, and he was protecting me. God did not allow me to be deceived by Satan's lies, the same lies introduced in the garden to Adam and Eve. I thank God that he intervened when it was the most crucial and pulled me back from dangerous deception. I thought that these things that I was reading and learning about were fascinating. The thought that we as humans could have some deep inner power, some type of divine power to see into the future, to use our, or use our intuition, that the power of our minds was so great that we could have unlimited potential were so attractive to me and that in that they drew me in almost completely. I did, upon two separate occasions, even visit a psychic to see if I could verify that any of what I was reading was true. 
I wanted to find out if a psychic could really have the powerful talents that I was reading about. The first visit was a disappointment. The woman was obviously not gifted with any ability whatsoever. She gave me a few pieces of advice that I could have gotten from the butcher at the supermarket. Nothing special or noteworthy. The second attempt was a bit of a surprise, however. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was skeptical, yet still somewhat eager to verify that these gifts could be real. This woman referred to a piece of information that only I would know for sure. It shocked me, and it surprised me. It was a confirmation to me that psychic power was real. But it also resulted in another feeling that I did not expect. It was an overwhelming feeling of dread, a feeling that I had gone somewhere that I should not have gone. Something within me prompted me to decide right then and there that I was not going to pursue this type of knowledge any further. From that moment on, I dropped the pursuit of New Age thought and philosophy. I just somehow knew deep in my heart that it was wrong. It was the Holy Spirit of God snatching me away from it, and I know it now. I kept hearing three words echo through my head after my second visit to a psychic. Those three words were, Try the spirits. Why this phrase kept rumbling through my thoughts was unknown to me then, but weeks after this experience, I was awakened at about 5 a.m. with the rest of the phrase, whether they are of God. The Holy Spirit was reminding me of what he said in his holy word in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, which reads, quote, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world, unquote. I jumped out of bed, dusted off my Bible, and began searching for this scripture. It took me about 30 minutes to find it, but there it was. After reading the first verse, I continued reading on, and I found in 1 John 4, uh, verses 2 and 3, quote, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Unquote. It was as if lightning had just struck me. It dawned upon me right then that I had been detoured. I had begun walking down the wrong path, exploring this wide, welcoming path to apostasy. I began to think back to all the books that I had read on New Age philosophy and thought, and I realized that not one of them ever confessed that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh to save mankind from sin and hell. Not one of those books ever attributed all power and glory and majesty to Jesus Christ, our Savior. No, no, these books were always trying to tell me just the opposite, that I was powerful or I could attain supernatural power, that I could find a divinity within myself and could save myself. 
These were spirits that were definitely not of God, and they were most definitely the spirit of Antichrist. I began to read 1 John further, and it said, quote, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the world heareth them. Excuse me. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Unquote. What a beautiful confirmation of my salvation I received that morning at 5 a.m. God confirmed to me in that very early hour that he has always been with me since the moment that I had accepted him into my heart so many years ago, and that he has never left me, even when my childish curiosities led me down paths that I should not have set foot upon. He allowed me to explore, to see, but not touch. Much like a loving father who explains the concept of electricity to his child, but never allows the child to put his or her finger into the socket. I thank God for his watchful eye and his loving care for me. I am grateful to him for pulling me from the danger, especially when I was almost persuaded to believe the new age satanic lie. I owe him my total devotion. I owe him my life. Although this was a confirmation to me of God's goodness and grace, I still had to wonder why he allowed me to explore this wide path of New Age thinking so deeply. There must be a reason for it, I thought, although I was not certain of what that reason might be. With that being said, let me state again that God does indeed work in mysteriously wonderful ways sometimes. About two and a half years ago, I met a woman who interested me, a woman with fire red hair down to her waist and a smile that literally melted my heart when I saw her flash it the first time. She had the most wonderful sense of humor. She knew how to laugh and have fun, and that intrigued me about her. I wanted to know more about her, but I was reticent to approach her because I had a history, quite frankly, of making some very bad decisions for myself where women were concerned. It was not the women's fault. It was mine. I was seeking the right woman, but not allowing God to guide me in my decision-making processes. However, I felt compelled to get to know this particular woman, and so I determined to do so. We worked at the same facility in different departments, and, and so we were both, I came to understand later, very aware of each other's presence, saying hello in the hallways and other areas of our employ. I initiated some polite conversation, and I found her to be exceptionally charming and windy and witty. I liked Linda. I liked her a lot. I asked her out on a date, and we had a lovely Italian dinner and some great conversation on our first date. I decided to pursue the possibility of consecutive dates, and she seemed to be agreeable, so we continued to date steadily. Through the course of dating, I found out that she was an avid biker, she rode a Harley, which I thought was interesting and intrigued me even further. 
Linda invited me to her home for dinner one night, and I gladly accepted, not only for the opportunity to see her again, but I must confess, for the opportunity to eat some real home-cooked food. For my usual diet of fast food and ravioli in a can was getting quite old. To my pleasant surprise, Linda was quite an amazing chef. Everything was fantastic. Shortly after the dinner, I excused myself to use her bathroom. Upon entering, I saw a book sitting on a stand near the commode. I picked it up and read the title, quote, Ask, and it shall be given, unquote, by Esther and Jerry Hicks. Hmm, I thought to myself that this might be a hindrance to her relationship for sure. But then I thought maybe I would try to find out if this was just a casual interest to her or if she was seeking serious answers to serious questions. This was a new age red flag for me, but I decided to bring it up in conversation somehow. I asked Linda about the book. She told me that she had been reading it for quite some time, little by little, and that she thought it was interesting. She also told me that books of this nature seemed to be missing something, that she found some of the information of interest, but just felt like she could not apply it totally to her life. She began telling me about her religious background, which was Roman Catholic and very common among Mexican families. Knowing the Roman Catholic doctrine as I do, it was no surprise to me that Linda was telling me that she felt that it did nothing for her. She told me that the Catholic Church, in her opinion, was just a giant bunch of liars, as she put it, and that they had been lying to people for centuries. Linda began to tell me how very distrustful she was of the Catholic Church, and that this feeling of distrust prompted her to stay away from church for many years. I listened, nodded, and told Linda that I understood, but I said nothing further during that conversation. I went home and thought quite extensively about finding the book uh, and what Linda had told me about it and how, and how she said she felt about organized religion. Well, knowing the history of the Catholic Church as I do, I could definitely understand what she had been feeling for so many years. Then I thought about some other comments she had made concerning her need for finding out more about God. I knew that she was searching for answers. I, I really liked Linda, and so I did something that I had not done for quite a few years. I prayed to God for guidance as to what to do. I asked God to show me whether I should pursue this relationship or not, and that if I was supposed to, how to handle her questions and issues surrounding God and her search for him. As Linda and I began to spend more time together, her questions became more and more frequent. I found myself being able to answer most of them quite easily, but I was hesitant to use an open Bible in front of her, afraid that it might make her uneasy. To my surprise, Linda started asking me to show her where in the Bible that it talked about heaven. I referenced John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, and read it to her. Quote, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and, pre and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know, unquote. When I looked up 
at her after reading this verse, Linda had a very amazed look on her face. She asked me to read it one more time, which I did. Tears started to well up in her eyes, and she told me about a dream she had many years ago during a particularly turbulent time of her life. Without going into all the details of this dream, I will tell you that these few verses in John struck a very deep chord in Linda because of the similarities in her dream and this scripture. It was from this point on that I knew that I had to, in essence, be Linda's helping guide, working hand-in-hand hand with the Holy Spirit to lead her to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Linda and I had many more conversations during which many biblical truths had to be confirmed to her, and also many New Age philosophical thought processes had to be shown to her as the lies that they have always been, using the authority of God's Word as the primary witnessing tool. To make a long story short, it took several months, but when Linda was certain that God's word was the only truth, she readily accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior on June 6th, 2009. What a happy day. Linda and I married a year later. I know that God had his hand in every part of making this wonderful Christian marriage possible. God knew that I would need Linda and that Linda would need me that we both were the perfect fit for one another. I thank God often for letting me explore and see the new age lies for what they really are, because it was this experience of mine that God used to lead Linda to him. Praise God for his infinite omniscience. Dear Christian, I have written this book because I have a burden for those who might be deceived by satanic new age heresies. My past study of new age philosophies is the experience that I believe God wants me to use in order to warn as many people as I can of the danger of being persuaded by these most dangerous of Satan's lies. My friend, you will never achieve the status of God, even though Satan wants you to believe you can. It is an old, old lie, but one that has been successful. Don't let part of Satan's successes be the stealing of your heart, mind, and soul. Make sure that you try the spirits, whether they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes this half-hour session of the Christian Underground News Network. Please return with me after a short break, and we will begin reading chapter 12, entitled, a conflagration of cults, the spiritual war over your soul. Tune in. I'll be back shortly. <laughs> 